Well, tonight is our last night in the book of James, and while we've been saying it's not necessarily an easy book of the Bible or a letter that was written to churches, I have, I have found it to be quite refreshing. Uh, I, I think the, the candor of James, the way he just says things, he doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush, he's just, he's just honest about it, and he's reminded me of some things that I know, but I think he's kind of so in your face a lot of times that, that he just is very, very clear. And I, and I was reminded of the clear priority of God to establish the church as a community, as a loving, functioning community. It also reminded me that it is loving to turn people away from all the false teaching and error that is out there. I know sometimes we want to hear people talk, and we know it's really off, and we don't want to say anything. Now, I'm not saying we bludgeon them, but we can be loving in, in correcting them. And, and James has reminded us over and over that we should encourage people and be aware of ourselves to stay away from sin and to live for the Lord Jesus. And I've just loved the way he has done it. He's a great illustrator. He's very upfront, honest, tells it like it is. And, and in light of the fact that he tells it like it is, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at his closing words. Usually when the, book, the Bible writers close a book of the Bible, this is his only book, uh, his only letter, it's, it's more, I, I don't want to use the word flowery, but it's, 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 it's graceful, and we thank this person and that person, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and, and it's just a, more of a soft landing, and uh, that's not what we get with the end of James. We don't get this nice goodbye. We get a very, very, very serious call to action. In fact, you might say that these final two verses are really the conclusion of what the whole book has been driving us to. James wants all of us to stay at it, to stay at the Christian faith. And he knows that in a church, uh, false teaching is toxic to our faith. He knows that sin that is allowed in the church is is toxic to our faith. I mean, there's certain things right now going on in the church where, well, it's okay if we do this, but, oh, those people outside the church, they're doing that. James would say, no, that, that's not okay. That's not okay. And also, I think he would, he would warn us that there are people in churches that are seeking position. And if we find ourselves following them, it's quite toxic to our faith as well. And yet, at the same time, James is such a pastor, as he even wants the people who did him harm or spoke ill of him and the other apostles, he wants them to come back to the church with a new attitude, of course, but he doesn't want them just to wander away. He also wants something for you and me that I've entitled tonight's message, something every Christian should do. He wants you and I to be involved in calling people who have left the family of God to come back to the family of God. He wants you and I to know people who once attended our church and to get in touch with them and to try and get them to come back back. Not just saying, oh, it's a shame they wandered away, but to really be active in trying to get them to return. When you ask most followers of Jesus if they want to be like Jesus, what do they say? Well, duh, Pastor Jim. They, they say, yes, of course. If that is the case, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to have the heart of Jesus beating inside of you, then you must have a heart for people who wander from the faith. Can I say that again? 
If you really want to be like Jesus, you have to have a heart for people who wander from the faith and not just feel bad about it, but you have to be willing to do something about it. After all these years of pastoring, I've, I've come to the conclusion that most wanderers don't know something. Most wanderers don't know that they are wandering. They can be wandering sitting here in church. They can be wandering by, by not attending church anymore. They can be wandering in, in the way that they're living. But they don't tend to think, some do, but most don't tend to think of themselves as wandering. Well, how can that be? Well, it's easy to be comf become comfortable in wandering, isn't it? We used to always say that if somebody missed three weeks of church, they probably are wandering. It used to be two, then it was one, now it's three, now it's a year. <laughs> and so we, we easily think that people could be uh, wandering and they don't necessarily see it. And they, be they become comfortable in wandering. They become comfortable with the world. They become they become comfortable with their sin. And because there's been no repercussions for it, they seem to think that it's, that it's okay. They become comfortable with their lack of spiritual growth. You know, it's not uncommon to hear people say, well, I haven't picked up my Bible in so long, and I haven't prayed in a long time, and I haven't, haven't really uh, had any deep spiritual conversations with anyone in a long time. And one of the trademarks of wanderers is they often think that they're okay spiritually. They don't realize again that they are wandering. Not to mention, if others around you are wandering, or they've become very worldly, and they don't know it, or they don't see it, or they don't perceive it, it's very easy for you and for me to wander with them away from the Lord and away from the truth. So he's gone through here in chapter 5. He's been talking about prayer. He's talked about the impact of prayer on both physical and spiritual sickness. So, so what do we do about people that are slipping away from the church and the faith? Now, the obvious answer would be, well, we have to pray for them. And James would say, yes, we do, but there's more. There's actually much more. God doesn't want us just to pray, although we must pray. There's actually action involved. And this is a serious call to action that he's making here that he wants all of us to take. He says in verse 19, brethren, so well, brethren generally is a term used for Christians, but maybe he's just talking to people who were in the church. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, at first glance, these verses may seem very unusual to us, especially in light of the way we talk about and think about faith in the United States. To us, faith is very individualistic. It's about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. And Jesus and the apostles would say, yes, it is a personal relationship that you have with Jesus. However, that personal relationship also has a public component. There's some things that, that God would have us to do. We are his representatives here on earth. Earlier in chapter 5, James taught us that we are to pray together. We are to confess our sins to one another and now he moves us to an incredible responsibility that we have not only to one another, but we have for one another. That's right. All, he says here, brethren, believers, 
not just pastors. Remember earlier in the chapter, he did say something specifically to pastors. Those who are, you know, spiritually minded people, we are to spiritually and mutually care for one another. And so this is what James does. He typically takes an awkward subject and he approaches it, he approaches it head on. And he looks us right in the eye and he says, look, people wander from the truth. It happens. It happens in every single church. You're not, you're not, it's, and it's not going to stop. It's going to be one of those things that is, keeps happening and happening. And God doesn't want you just to sit there and go, oh, that's a doggone shame. God doesn't want you to just sit there and go, well, we'll have to pray for them. Although we do have to pray for them, God wants us again to take action. I think one of the problems is we throw around the term in the church, brothers and sisters. Oh, he's my brother. Oh, she is my sister. And it's easy to forget those terms are in the Bible because we are the family of God. We are God's children. And as brothers and sisters, as God's children, God expects us, commands us to keep an eye out for one another. In other words, we are to have with each other in the church warm relationships. Now, there'll be people that you're more close to friends with than others. We, we, we understand that. I was talking to a brother a couple weeks ago, and he was like, oh, it's a group of us that go fishing together. Well, you know what? That's great. Some, if you like fishing, maybe they'll invite you, or maybe you can find out about that. But maybe you're like, I don't like to go fishing. That's okay. There, there's, we're going to have different you know, affinities towards one another, but we are to have warm relationships. We are to be people who are helping one another, not doing what is distinctly American and a lot of parts of the world, but we're not just supposed to choose what's best for us. So many times people make decisions that's best for them without thinking what that would do to other people. A lot of times you've heard me say this before. People say, well, Pastor Jim, how can I pray for you? And I always say, pray, don't do anything stupid. And they go, no, no, really, really. What, what, how can I pray for you? And I go, no, really. Pray I don't do anything stupid. Because if I do something stupid, it has tremendous ramifications for the people in this church. Same thing for other people who go here. If you just get up and leave and you're gone, there are people that are wondering what's going on. Tonight we're going to be told what we need to do. But it had, you just can't do that. I mean, you have to sit and talk things out or, or, or think things through. Just don't think that your actions that you do independently have no effect on other people. It's because we are a family. And, and Jesus has, uh, James has talked through, um, there's such things that people do that's just the best for them. The way they talk jealousy, or for some people, it's a horrible desire to be seen. You know, you just, people are just telling you, well, oh, I did this, and I do that for the Lord, and I do this for the Lord, and, or, or, they'll, or, they'll, or they'll have a prayer request, and it'll be about, well, you know, I'm doing this for God, and I'm doing that for God, and, and you know, listen, man, just serve Jesus. Don't, you, don't, you don't need to tell people what you're doing. If you're godly, people will see it. People will see it. And, and you know what? Let, 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 let God know what you do. Uh, and I have this thing where I, got, I get up and talk in front of people, but other stuff that I do, I don't, I don't tell people about that. It's not, I, I, it's, I, want God to, I want God to know. Also, you get people who, um, you know, they, they'll, they, they are starting to wander and they're getting people to follow them. They're often critical. They're argumentative. Uh, they're liars. And they influence people. So they're not only wandering, but they're creating wanderers. And notice James says here in verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, he knows it happens. And he knows it can happen to any of us, especially 
if we're not really grounded in our faith and we tend to operate more out of emotion than out of the, our faith in the Lord Jesus. It, it can happen to any of us. Some do it on their own. Many will come under the influence of others. And James wants us to know we all play a part in going after the wanderers. We can't claim it's not my responsibility. If you think that it is, these verses are going to get you away from that. The writer to the book of Hebrews says, Beware, brethren, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, some versions say turning away, another says leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, notice how the writer to the Hebrews, who we don't know the identity of, um, says it's departing from the living God. James says it's wandering from the truth. It's very interesting. Different words, but yet interchangeable, where this is something that can happen to any of us. So you say, well, I, I love God, but I don't believe the Bible anymore. The writers of the Bible say, no, you're, you, you've wandered from the truth. If you say, well, you know, I'm just going to do what I'm going to want, the Bible writers would say, you've wandered from the truth. So what is the truth? Well, I think James means the totality of God's revelation as found in the Bible. I think he means all that is involved in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ coming and dying for sinners. And James has been crystal clear. I mean, you, you cannot read the, the Bible, uh, the book of James, and, and come away with anything other than this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God found in the scriptures, is not only something to be believed, it must be believed, but it's also something to be lived out. Jesus told us he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So he told us that he was the truth. That would mean that following Jesus means that we believe a set of doctrines or teachings and it's also a path that we walk in the way of Jesus daily. I think it's fair to say this. The truth will keep you from wandering, but also wandering will keep you from the truth. Let me say that again. I want to make sure we all catch that. The truth keeps us from wandering but wandering keeps us from the truth. You and I cannot live the Christian life without Christian convictions and the truth of the word of God deeply embedded in our hearts. So what does wandering look like? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, for us, the word, it sounds very accidental, doesn't it? You know, those of you who have kids, you're like, oh, my kid wandered away. I was freaking out, man. <laughs> I, know, I know where he was. And, uh, and, and it sounds very accidental. And it can be for sure. It can be for sure. Uh, maybe if you go for a walk in the woods and all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know where I am or something like that. But it also could sound like, uh, I guess, like those little sins that we commit? Do you know what I mean by those little sins? We don't think they're such a big deal. If you want to read a great book on that, read Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. It's really, oh. <laughs> and, and he just goes after a lot of the things that people don't think are such big sins, uh, but, but, they, but they really are. And I think when we talk about wandering, we just sort of like think like, oh, I, I just wandered off the path uh, for a moment. But the word for wandering that, that James uses actually refers to any uh, kind of departing uh, from the truth of the faith. So it's any kind of departing from it. 
That means that wandering can be accidental or wandering can be fully intentional. That means that wandering can be minor or that means that wandering can be major. In other words, wandering is sin. Now, the word uh, implies that they, have may been, they may have been led astray by others, uh, they may have been deceived by others, or as we read in Hebrews, you've been led astray by your own heart. I've been led astray by my own heart. Now, it's very interesting, this word wander. It's actually the word where we get the word planet from. With the idea is the planets are just wandering through the sky. So the ancients would look up in the sky and they would see the planets wandering through the sky. And, and James is saying that's the way we are. We're just kind of wandering out there in the darkness when we've, when we've departed from the truth. And certainly we're to, we're to pray for people who are wandering that they see it. But sadly, while many do, people rarely admit that they're wrong and repent on their own. If they're not in the Word of God, if they're not in fellowship or, or being close to other Christians, they, they really, they just can't get there. I mean, I know soon we're going to start hearing people saying, well, if they live around here, well, you know, I, I can fellowship with, with God on Lake Apakong. Really? I mean, I love to fish. I've never been reeling in a big bass and thinking what a sinner I am. I'm reeling him in thinking like, you know, stay on the hook, stay on the hook, stay on the hook. And so, and so we have to be really careful how we, how we think. And sadly, and, and this is something I think we all need to be really careful of. Sadly, it's often the people that are given places of honor, of leadership in the local church that are the main culprits of either wandering or leading other people to wander. I've had a lot of people come visit our church over the years and said, well, we like it here because you do home groups, or, or we call them community groups here. If you'd like to join one, we have, we'll have sign-ups. We'll be talking more about that on Easter Sunday, and we'll be having sign-ups for the, for the shortened spring semester uh, after, after Easter. That will start after Easter. But sometimes people will say, I, I like that you do home groups here, and a lot, of pe a lot of churches don't do them, or they did them and they disbanded them. Um, but a big part, it's a big part of our church, but a big reason that people don't do them is because of what some of the leaders have done in those groups. What happens is sometimes the leaders themselves are wandering. They've gone off the path and they start to take others with them. Such leaders are so convinced that they're right they are doing what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders. They're calling disciples unto themselves and they're leading people away from the gospel, leading people to themselves, and often leading people to weak, watered-down churches. One where they think they can, I don't know, become more of a leader or be seen. I think what's a funny thing about it is, that's not funny, but... They'll often usually go to wherever they land. They'll go tell the other pastor or they'll tell some of the other leaders in the church thinking that they are not going to tell the pastoral staff of the church that they've left. I mean, they think that that's not going to come back. You've got to. All right. Let me give you a secret. Pastors talk. They just do. And so most do. And I would say this. Most godly pastors do. The ungodly ones. Well, they don't they don't really seem to they don't really seem to care. James 4, 11 and 12 says this. We covered this already. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. You're not keeping the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Sadly, 
following false teachers, following false leaders is very prominent in the word of God. It goes something like this. Uh, they'll claim that they're David and that the person who was leading them or, or one of the pastors on the staff or the pastor, the, the founding pastor, whatever, they'll say they're David and, and, and he was like Saul. You're throwing spears at me. When in reality, the person that you're listening to tell that story is not really David. In reality, they are Absalom. And if you don't know who Absalom is, Absalom was King David's traitor son. You can read about him, 2 Samuel 13 through 19. And while King David was working, and there's a lot, there's a lot of work when you're the king, there's a lot of work if you are a hard-working pastor. Not all are. There's a lot of work. But while King David was working, Absalom was at the city gate meeting the people as they were coming in and out of the city saying, you know, hey, man, if I was the king, I'd be out here with the people. Well, maybe the king could be out with the people if you were in helping him with some of the work. But Absalom didn't realize as the scripture says, pride goes before a fall. And Absalom was so full of pride. And so, loved ones, we have to, and he eventually died. Loved ones, we have to be very careful of following self-promoters because they can easily ruin your walk with God. And it often does. So what is something we all must do with any of the wanderers? For whatever reason they have wandered away from the church, he says at the end of verse 19, someone turns him back. God says to us, when you know someone is wandering, your job, my job, all of our job, collectively as a family, as a community, is to turn them back. Now, understand this. Wanderers, most likely, are not sitting there waiting to be brought back to the truth. They're not sitting there going, hmm, maybe I need to go back to the truth. Now, there are some people who are embarrassed, and they'll say, well, I'm too embarrassed to go back. Well, you've got to get over with them with that. You know, just say, come to church with me. Walk in with me. Nobody's going to mess with me, man. They mess with you, they mess with me. You, you know? Somebody starts saying, oh, where have you been? You stare them down, man. Don't feel bad about it. Feel God's glory, seriously. You're doing your job. You're doing your thing, man. You're bringing the wanderer back. That's a, that's, a very, very good, that's a very, very good thing. Now, they'll often say to you, well, no one reached out to me. Well, we learned earlier in James 5, it's a two-way street. You have, to, you have to reach out to other people as well. Now, I am not saying this is easy. I'm not. And uh, certain times, it's actually very hard. But it shows Christ's loving concern when we try to turn people back. When we are like Jesus, the good shepherd, and we leave the 99 and we go after the one that has run away. Now, you'd be surprised. People will turn back. Sometimes people will turn back after having their error pointed out or just being known that people knowing that they miss them, that they want them to come back, that we miss not having you around. And, and then people come back and they can be fully restored, can start serving again, fellowshipping again, joining a group again. And before you know it, you know, people aren't going to be like, ah, look at that finally back again. You know, the, no, the people, don't, people don't think like that. At least most of the people I know don't think like that. But, but the, the, the point of what James, I think, here is teaching here is followers of Jesus don't let wanderers wander. They don't. They, they intervene and they lovingly challenge people to return. And they'll say stuff like, hey, man, I'll come pick you up. Or let's go out and have lunch. Let's talk about what's going on. Now, 
you may think, well, Pastor Jim, that's easy for you. I'm going to be honest with you. This was a lot easier before I was a pastor. It really was. I mean, I just call somebody up and they'd be like, hey, man, how you doing? Now they, they look at their phone. Oh, it's Pastor Jim. I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> and so it was a lot easier. And, 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 and one of the reasons is, and this may surprise some of you, is uh, people think that I think stuff that I just don't think. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't think. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really, you know, I, I understand that we all have problems, that we all have issues, that we all have stuff. And so I don't, I'm not really going to think much about why you do what you do until you tell me why you do what you do. And, and I've also noticed that it's a lot easier when people are here for a bit and then they leave, it's a lot easier or to, to speak to someone like that or someone who's not given their life to Jesus Christ than someone who's been here a long time and is 100% convinced they're right. I mean, there's absolutely no talking to them. So let's keep going. We just covered verse 19. We'll read it again. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, verse 20 ends the letter, let him know that or remember that he who turns or brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, a lot of scholars want to argue about, you know, well, uh, who gets saved and, and who gets their sins covered? Is it the wanderer or is it, is, it the, uh, is it the person who brought them back? And I'll just say, well, eh, it's probably both. But, but what really I think James is doing here is he's, he's calling all of us to turn or bring back a sinner from the error of his way. What's he saying? I want you to be like Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's that simple. This is, a, this is a call to evangelism. This is a call to loving God's people. This is a call to rescue the wayward. Now, verse 20 is not meant to make you feel guilty, but it's meant to be a powerful motivator to you and to me to uh, explain to us why this is the something for the whole church to be involved in. The whole church. Just imagine you're in a community group. You've got 10 people in your group and one person wanders away. Everybody's waiting for the leader to call them. What would happen if all nine other people reached out to them and said, hey, just want to tell you we love you, we miss you, really would love to have you come back. Would make, would make a big difference. Yet, yet the way it's stated here by James, it's almost like he's saying, well, listen, I know you all know this. I know this isn't news to you. I know everybody, all of you know that it's your responsibility to do this. And, you know, I think, I think in our heads we, we think, oh, this is news to me, Pastor Jim. I'm not so sure I'm glad you told me this tonight, but this is news to me. But deep down in your heart, you know it's your responsibility. Deep down in our heart, we all know that it's our responsibility. And we all know it's, it's a great joy if they return. If you don't believe me, try it. And then if you see someone that you contacted to come back to church and you see them sitting in church when you come in, sit two or three rows in back of them. And you watch what God does to your soul when he says to you, you did good there. You did good. That's, that's what I want my people to be like. It's great joy. People say, well, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes, you are. 
That's the way it works in a family. So therefore, we see it's, it's our Christian duty to point out error and to restore the wanderer. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, if, if, a, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, overtaken in any sin, any kind of wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself. In other words, watch yourself, lest you also be tempted. What, what does he mean? What, is it, what does that mean? It's one of those passages we, we taught it many years ago, and gosh, I'd love to just take you know a Sunday and go through Galatians, or a couple Sundays and go through the beginning of Galatians 6 again. It, it, it means take a risk. Take a risk and go after a wanderer. But when you do it, be humble. Be very humble about it. Examine your own heart. Don't give in to your pride. Examine your own heart. And remember this. Next time, it might be you. It might be you that someone has to come after. So, so the soul-searching question is this. How hard do you... Do I, do we as a church, wherever you're watching or located, this is for you, how hard do we work at bringing wandering sheep back into the flock? How hard do we do that? We often say, it's none of my business, none of my business. James says, Jesus says, Oh, yes, it is, because it's kingdom business. And when it's kingdom business, it's our business. In other words, Jesus could say this, I left here because I left the kingdom business for you to do. So don't tell me it's not your business. It is your business. So right now, maybe you're watching this and you're thinking like, I can think of 5, 10, 15 people I need to get in touch with. Dynamite. Easter's coming. Good week to do it. Good week to do it. To be honest, this is a big part of the work that the Lord Jesus left us here to do. And right now, in the season that the church in America, in the world is in right now, this is staring us right in the face. People are beginning to slowly to come back. And we need to be saying to people, what are you thinking? What's going on? How are you doing? You know, this past Sunday, we had a lot of people had to come back, and they were like, man, this was, this was good, and I felt safe here, and, and it was really wonderful to be back in church. And, and, and so we need to be, you know, really thinking about that and understanding this scripture right now is staring us right in the, in the face. Um, it's fair to say that the situation is serious. Right now you're going to start hearing from people, I don't need to go to church anymore. I don't need to be in the word anymore. I don't need to practice spiritual disciplines anymore. I don't need to have Christian friends anymore. Friends, that's a hard heart towards God. And the problem is, is that many of us believe our own excuses. If you want to know how serious this is, listen, listen to this. This is serious. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house or the people of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Whew. Another version says, you are responsible for what happens to him. Yet, 
If you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity or his sin, but you have delivered your soul. We said this in a previous study. We're so focused on results, God is focused on faithfulness. We are to be faithful. We are to be humble. But do our best and leave the results up to God. Next, James says here in verse 20, if we do this and they turn back to God, that we will save a soul from death. Now, in this sense, it might be a little confusing, but it may indicate that the wanderers were never really followers of Jesus. Now, any church that is really doing gospel ministry, that is declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, will have people in it on a Sunday that are not followers of Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Because God is bringing them in. God is bringing them in to hear the good news. And so there are people in a church that they like, they like it. They like the people. They're nice. That, you know, they got good, nice bagels and they got some decent coffee and people are friendly and, and you know, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good deal. But there are people who, who are wanderers because they wander away because they never really were followers of Jesus. Such people... And there's way more than we think. Way more than we think. Such people attend church, but their faith is not real. Their faith is not genuine. And you've heard me say this many times before, and a lot of them are in pulpits. A lot of them went to seminary. But their faith is not real. Therefore, to, to bring them to genuine faith is to, uh, and he says it here, is to save a soul from death. What kind of death? Save a soul from spiritual death, eternal death in hell. Now, why would God let people wander? Why, why would that happen? Well, sometimes we need to wander and after having tasted the goodness of being part of God's people, we need to wander and go back out and, and, and taste the world. And then that will make us hungry, hopefully, for God's world, or sometimes things go poorly. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this to Philemon about Onesimus, who had, who had run away, and he ran away, and as, he, as fate would have it, he, as providence would have it, he met the Apostle Paul who led him to Christ. So uh, Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Verse 15 and 16 says this, Paul writes, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." James essentially says the same thing. Sometimes people are going to wander away. But then when we tell them the good news and they turn to God, they can turn back to God. Now, this is something we have to remember. Very important. And, and if you're not careful, you could read this improperly. Of course, we don't save their soul. We don't. God saves people's soul. But this type of gospel ministry, going after the wanderers, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. If you're sensing this in your heart and you're not doing this, take the next step. Because this kind of gospel ministry, chasing after the wanderers, going after the wanderers, tells you a lot about your soul.
it tells you a lot about whether you really are gaining God's heart or not. You see, if you are chasing after wanderers, if you're trying to get in touch with wanderers, you are more like Jesus than you think because you love people enough to reach out to them, to pursue them, no matter how uncomfortable it might be for you. So how do you know who to reach out to? How do you know? Well, I just said it. I, I just said, you, what about that community group member who stopped coming? What about that person on your serving team who just kind of dropped off and you just don't see them anymore? What about a person that you saw in church every Sunday for a long time and now you don't, you don't see them anymore? What about someone you brought to church a couple times? And, you know, one or two Sundays they were like, oh, I can't make it, I can't make it. And you stopped inviting them. You thought, oh, maybe they just don't want to come. And they may be actually, not literally, but they may be sitting by the phone waiting for you to call and to invite them back. Let God press it on your heart and then, and then follow what he says. If they, if they are true followers of Jesus, when they return, it's because God is using your life in the process of their being saved. Now you're like, what, what in the world does that mean? Remember, we've used this illustration many times, the, the ship illustration, you are, and the way the Bible talks about it. So you're drowning, and somebody throws... Jesus comes along and he throws you a life preserver. What happened to you? You were saved. And then you're on the boat and you're driving back to land. What's happening on the boat? You are being saved. And then when you get to dry land, heaven, you have been saved. You are saved. You see, it's interesting the Bible talks about that, about being saved in, in that way, about people who are being saved. And when you call back a true believer back to following Jesus, God is using your life in that aspect of theirs, and the same is true for you. Now, people debate the identity of the wanderer. Uh, some people wonder if it's what we call a backslider, although some people would debate this, is there even such a thing as a backslider? But let's just, for argument's sake, let's say that there is. What, what is a backslider? That's someone who forsakes God to follow their own sinful desires. They're just like, you know what, I'm going to do my thing. And a lot of times, I think they don't even really think about it. They're just doing their thing, and God just sort of, you know, falls through the cracks. He, he doesn't really matter. Um, so is it a backslider? Is the wanderer what we call an apostate? An apostate is, is someone who, um, they, they just refuse the faith. They, they, they just reject it. They leave it. I don't believe it anymore. Uh, some people think that the wanderer is someone who's lost their salvation. Uh, you, going to have to really do a lot to convince me of that. Some people think that the wanderer is someone who perhaps was never saved. Well, I would probably lean towards a moderated uh, backslider view, someone who just kind of got busy, if you will. But also, I think mainly he's talking here about people who were in the church who were never saved. But I think if James were here today, I think he would say, you know, your debates about who the wanderer is, your questions about who the wanderer is, actually, you totally have missed the point of what I'm saying. That you, you've actually missed the heart of the Lord Jesus. I think James' point to us today 
and would be to the church in America would simply be this. Stop trying to figure out the spiritual status of the wanderer and go get them. I'm just, this is, this is an opinion. But I honestly believe with all of my heart, this is one of the most neglected responsibilities of the church today. We just don't do it. We just don't do it. And I think you, James would say, stop your, your, your crazy trying to figure out the spiritual status of the wanderer again and go get them. I found more often than not, there's, there's silly reasons why people wander. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, they get caught in, in some sin that they can't get out of or they follow some bad leader. A lot of times it's just some unresolved conflict with somebody in the congregation and, and nobody spoke up. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people would say like, oh, I had a disagreement with that person, so I can't come back. What? I mean, just really think about how silly that is. Did you ever have a disagreement with your boss? And, and you go, well, I can't come back. I mean, you come back. You ever have a disagreement with the people you live with? Well, yeah, you come back. You don't go stay at the hotel. But just because you have a disagreement with someone at church, you come back. You got to work it out. That, that's part of doing life together. For others, I listen. This is a real want. This is a real thing. For some people, say I went to church, but nobody ever said hello. It's a real thing. You know, people who come to church usually for the first or second time. You know how you can tell they're, it's their first or second time? They're the people who come early. <laughs> Most people come late. And they come in and sit. And nobody, listen, they're not looking to be interviewed. But a simple, hey, hi, how you doing? Good morning. Great to see you. Glad you're here. Something like that. You don't have to say, is this your first time? You don't have to say that. Sometimes you say that to people, is this your first time? And they're, and they're like, uh, no, I, I've, you know. I've been here for four years. Nice to be noticed. <laughs> you know, there's people who've been here 15 years. They're like, is this your first time? They're like, no, I've been here a while. Like, Just say, hey, it's great to see you. So glad you were, you're here this morning. You know, when's the last time somebody said to you, it's great to see you? When's the last time somebody said, well, I'm really glad you're here today? That's just not something people hear. I hear from people very often one of the things I love about coming into church is it's the first time I see people smiling all week. Or you see people who walk in from the front door of the church and they have just been battered by the world all week. All week. They walk in the front door and they're like, ah, I made it. I mean, they're just so happy. But they're waiting for someone to just to say hello to them. You know, it's not gospel ministry, ministry to be so busy after church to rush to your friends. That's not gospel ministry. You've got plenty of time to see your friends. You know, some people, they're like, I'm in a hurry. I, I want to get the kind of bagel I like. I mean, what are you kidding me? We have bagels. If you don't, you've never been to our church, we have bagels. We serve people bagels. If people want to rush online to get the bagel that they like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start serving Pop-Tarts or something like that, man. That's, that's, not, that's not a reason. That's not a reason. We are Jesus' representative. We are to love people in Jesus' name. I mean, if we spent more time seeking to know people, seeking to love people, seeking true biblical reconciliation when there are differences instead of complaining or just leaving. Things would be so different. And here's the deal. Our friends and family members and coworkers, they're watching us. They're watching us. They, they know when people 
have a difference of opinion in church. They'd go from this church to that church to that church. You know that old joke. There was a guy on, on an island, and, 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 the, and so they came to rescue him, and there's three huts. And, and they said, what's that hut? And he goes, well, that's my house. And they go, well, what's that hut? And they go, and he goes, oh, that's, that's my church. And they go, what's the hut next to it? He goes, oh, that's the church I used to go to. There's a guy on, on, by, on, a line, on an island by himself willing to, and he's switching churches. You see, it's easy to forget that God wants to, as the last words of this letter say, he wants to cover a multitude of sins. He wants to cover a multitude of sins in the wanderer. He wants to cover a multitude of sins in us. When we understand that the cross of Christ covers our sins, we can be motivated by grace to reach out to others. Why? Because God reached out to us. That's why. I often hear people say, well, at our church, we don't talk about sin. We, we're about love and grace. Jesus and the apostles disagree with that. They disagree with that. Such an attitude doesn't square with their teaching on love and mutual, the mutual responsibility we have for one another. If you see a brother or a sister that is self-destructing, you have to say something. You have to. The church is supposed to be a place where love is and truth is lived out and expressed, where love covers a multitude of sins. A place where we are honest with one another that our commitment to Jesus is not always as consistent as we want it to be. A, a place where we care about people enough and they care about us enough to come after one another when we wander. Now, I'm not saying we are to become the, the sin police. On the other hand, we do want to be Holy Spirit-led people declaring that God covers sins. So now James says we are to bring back people from the error of their ways, save their souls from death, and cover a multitude of sins. Now here's the mistake we can't make. We can't do any of that. We can't do any of that. You said, then, then why in the world did he say it? What James means is we are the instruments that God uses to do his work. God has chosen, whether you think it's a good idea or not, to do his work through the local church. God has chosen to do his work through the people of God. We can't do what only the Holy Spirit can do. But we can work like we can do it and then watch him do it. We can pray and watch him do his work of grace. So, so in other words, God has us go out and do things that appear we're doing them, but it's really him doing them through us. We do these things by not holding back, by telling people how Jesus Christ will bring them back, will save them from death, and will cover their sins. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible teaches that his blood covers our sins, which I understand is hard maybe for you to understand. So let me help you think of it this way. I didn't make up this illustration. It's a very old one. 
Let's say you had a tremendous bill that you could not pay. Tremendous bill. And a rich person comes along and says, I'll cover that for you. You're like, I could never pay you back. He goes, you don't have to pay me back. I'll cover that for you. And if they cover that for you, the debt is paid. It's gone. All you have to do is this. All you have to do is say yes or no. All you have to do is say, yes, I will let you cover my bill. Yes, Jesus, I will let you, your blood cover my sins. I will let you cover my debt to God. Or no, I'll cover it. But the problem is the impossibility of covering our debt to God. And it's that simple. So what will you say? If you're watching tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, what will you say? Will you say, yes, Jesus, cover my debt? Or will you say no? Will you receive the forgiveness of sins in eternal life or not? Tonight, let me ask you this simple question. Are you willing to choose your eternal destiny? To say yes to Jesus is to choose an eternal destiny of forgiveness, life in heaven, part of God's family. To say no is to reject that and to not get all of that. To say, well, I don't know, is to say no. Anything other than yes is a no. Now, you may wonder, after all the sins I've committed... Will Jesus take me? I guarantee you the answer to that question is yes. You read the scriptures and you see some of the biggest riffraff become followers of Jesus. You see people that you're thinking like, man, that guy, the Apostle Paul, he, he was Saul of Tarsus. He hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He get God gets a hold of that guy, and, and the people are like, uh, God, that guy, bad news, bad news. And God's like, no, 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 good news. I got some good news for you. I'm going to use that guy mightily. And so will Jesus take you in light of what you've done? I guarantee you the answer is yes. You say, well, how can you be so sure? Two reasons. Number one, Jesus said he would never turn away any that come to him. And he said, I won't do it. You come to me, I will not turn you away. You really want this? I won't turn you away. And that's the most important reason. That's the most important reason I can guarantee you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so you will not have to pay for your sins. That if you come to him and say, Jesus, I want your forgiveness. I want you in my life. I know I'm wandering. And this wandering thing is not working out. And I know you're behind it. Because I know you're, you're drawing me to you. I want it. He will not turn you away. Said he wouldn't. Wouldn't say it. Won't do it. The second reason is much more personal. Thirty-three years ago today, I came to Jesus Christ, a very, very young and successful businessman, but a broken sinner. And Jesus took me. And never did I even sense for one second him saying no. Never did I hesitate, feel for one second that he was hesitating 
that he was having second thoughts about it. And, and how, did it, how did it begin? I'll tell you how it began. A few people who God put in my life, and I grew up in church, but a few people, and I was not a Christian though, but there's a few people that God put in my life did what every Christian should do. They chased down this wanderer. And they told me the good news of the kingdom of God. And they told me that God was offering it to me. That plus the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. It was like they were doing it, but God was using them to do it in my life. What they told me, starting to read the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, turned this wanderer, me, to the truth of God's word. And because God, Jesus said he would do it. And because I know he's done it for me and so many of the people that I love in our church, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he will love to do it for you tonight. Let's pray.